Listen, if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Mark chapter um, 4. Actually, we're going to be in 5, but we'll get there in a second. Um, last night, Victoria and I watched a film, um, Suffragette. Wow. You know, I don't often sort of endorse films, but that is a film. Please watch, you know, if you get a chance, watch it. What a film about perseverance, you know, and, um, and just kind of the lobbying that the suffragettes did in terms of getting the uh, women's vote and all of that. And so today we are going to be looking at a number of stories. You know, we've heard a great story from Anne, her own personal story. You know, uh, we watched an amazing story about perseverance last night. And we're going to be looking at a number of other stories uh, this afternoon, this morning. So, um, at the end of chapter 4, a couple of weeks ago, Ali was down, and we were talking about how Jesus and the disciples got in a boat and uh, went across the Sea of Galilee, and a great storm happened, and we heard about how Jesus spoke to this weather system, you know, and basically just said, wished to an entire storm, an entire weather system, to, to pressure to um, the waves and the wind and very molecules are responding and this whole storm calms down. And he, he lands at the end of chapter 4, Mark uh, lands on a question. And the question uh, it comes from the disciples. And the disciples are saying, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Who is he? And this, this question echoes now through the next sort of uh, three or four characters and stories that we're going to be looking at. The question is, is who is he? Who is Jesus? And now, remember, Mark, as he's writing his gospel, is writing to the community in Rome. And so when he says, you know, when the disciples ask that question, who, who is this Jesus? Who that can, you know, say uh, to a storm, you know, be calm. I mean, imagine the, the Roman uh, community are going, hey, hold on a minute. I thought only Jupiter or Neptune could do this stuff. You see, G see, Jesus now is now challenging the world and asking the question, who do you think I actually am? And Mark's question resonates and echoes now. It's not only through scripture, but comes to each and every one of us who are reading these stories today saying this, who, who is he? Who is this Jesus in the Bible that can say to a storm, hey, whoosh, okay, who is he? And so this, what we're doing is, over the next sort of 24 hours in the scriptures, on this journey, this question of who is he is kind of echoing through a number of these stories. And it's going to be asking us a bunch of questions. So Jesus deals with the storm, gets off the boat in the place called the... Uh, I think it's uh, uh, Gerasenes. And as he gets off the boat, he's met by a man who's absolutely tormented. And I won't go into all the details, but he's like a lost cause. He's just a mess. And nobody can fix him, and yet Jesus does. And so it echoes again. Who is this? that can deal with stuff that nobody else can deal with? Who is this that can deal with a man completely oppressed by demonic stuff, but one word from Jesus deals with it? Who is he? And our lovely Kirsty is going to be looking at that story in a couple of weeks' time. She's going to unpack it for us. 
and uh, it's going to be fun and no doubt it's going to be challenging and all the rest of it. But the question is, who is he? And so we now are going to join the story. Okay? Jesus gets back in the boat, you know, and he goes back across the Sea of Galilee and he lands um, and he is, I guess, welcomed uh, by a crowd. Um, he meets another person in this crowd. This person comes to him and he is not, he's a man of standing, he's a man of position, um, dare I say influence and authority, but he is equally as desperate as the guy who is living amongst the tombs. Okay, and so let's just pick up a bit of this story. Okay, here we go, it's up on the screen. So when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. We're asking the question, who is Jesus? I want to ask the question, who is Jairus? Who is this guy who comes to Jesus and throws himself at Jesus' feet? Well, he's a leader in the community. He's an elder, if you like, in the community. He's a man that others would have looked to for wisdom. But this day, none of that matters. On this day, he is a desperate parent, isn't he? His little girl is deeply unwell, and he is a man who is desperate. And his desperation and his love for his little girl was greater than anything else in this world. You know, Jesus is this controversial figure. He's a synagogue leader. So he would have been the leader of at least 12 men. But the likelihood in this community was a lot more than that. You had to have 12, uh, a family of 12, if you like, to have a synagogue in the community. And so he was seen as the sort of senior guy. And yet here's Jesus, this young rabbi, doing all of this amazing stuff. And the vast majority of synagogues in the area or in the, in the area that Jesus has been kind of ministering, I mean, they are like, you know, they are like really, they're quite concerned. You know, is this guy the real deal? In fact, it's quite possible that this is the same synagogue that Jesus went into a number of maybe weeks or months prior. And a man with a with a with a with, with, with a, a palsy or a shriveled hand, it describes, and it says that they, they, this man was in the synagogue, and the Pharisees were in the synagogue, and they were waiting to to see what Jesus would do, and waiting to plot against him. And so Jesus heals this guy with this hand issue, and then it says in Mark chapter three, and they went out to plot against him. It is quite possible. This is the environment, and here is the guy. He's a man of position, a man of authority, I suppose we a man of understanding. But none of that matters. Because his little girl is deeply frozen. And 
he runs he goes and finds Jesus who is Jairus he's a man that jettisoned his pride and his position and even his dignity and he goes to get Jesus who is Jairus? He is a man that has moved Jesus by his healing. He is a man that has touched Jesus by his, his, his embryonic faith. You know, if, if the sweetie is faith, then the wrapping is desperation. Can you see that in that story? You know, he, 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 you know often we talk about faith as this kind of, I don't know, like somehow it's Confidence in yeah, and we somehow conjure it up out of nowhere. In the stories that we're looking at today, it is wrapped up. Faith is wrapped up in a deep desperation. If Jesus doesn't do something, something else terrible is potentially going to happen. Often, many of us think, "I don't have faith," but I tell you what, most of us have is desperation. And desperation in this story. His faith, because the desperation drives him out of his home to, and to come to Jesus, to throw off his pride, to throw off his place in the community, to throw off what anybody else thinks about him, to throw off the opinions of the crowd, and what does he do? He bows down. No, he doesn't just bow down. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He's, uh, he's um, prostrate before him. Because he needs a moment. Who is Jairus? Jairus is a man who has just that tiny embryonic faith, but there's a heck of a lot of desperation. And you know what? They use Jesus. Just go back to that to the scripture slide. Just, what does it say? He's, what does it say? Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed. And live. Tom prayed a prayer. He said that Jesus, we need you to come because you bring life into all situations. There it is. And then what is it? You see the response. So Jesus went with him. He said, Pastorally, I know some of you, but I don't know all of you. But I know this. Some of us are in situations right now and we're desperate and pastorally this is difficult because actually we're in situations, some of us are in situations, we know of situations in this church and across the sites in Aberdeen and in other churches and in this community that we know people that if God doesn't do something, if God doesn't move, then we're going to be facing something. We know this though. As Christians, we know this. Jesus is with us. Remember, in the storm, it's much better dealing with a crisis when he's with us in the boat. So who's Jairus? Jairus is a man that has moved Jesus. And now Jesus is moving towards his crisis. His situation, his home, his little.
let's read on. The story, you know, uh, his story, his journey now is the next, is, you know, we've got the big story of who Jesus, who is Jesus? Now we've got this story of who's Jairus and what's going on in Jairus' life and Jairus' story. And now as we move and we journey with him, we're going to meet another person who's going to get caught up in Jairus' story. And so let's read on. So let's read on. It says here, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to hemorrhaging for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and who asked who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, and said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. It's healed you. Go in peace, and be freed from your suffering. Jesus is coming her way, because Jairus went to him. Jairus' desperation is now pulling Jesus towards his situation. And now this crowd and Jesus are coming down the road and it has cracked open an opportunity for another person to reach out and experience the power of God. Can you see that? And this lady's situation is, you know, it's, it's tough. In fact, um, we know that, that, that Jairus' little girl is 12 years old, and we're going to come to that in a minute. This woman, for 12 years, has been suffering. So for, the la- for, for as long as Jairus' daughter has been living, this woman has been suffering. And now the crowd is coming by, and, and she, it's like there's an opportunity, isn't there? There's a moment when Jesus is walking by, and she's like, I am making the most of this opportunity. This could be my last opportunity. It's a bit like, um, you know, um, you know, we talked a couple of well, a couple of months ago about how Jesus was back in Capernaum and the crowd had gathered and he was in a house and then the, the, a couple of good friends had heard that Jesus was there and they realised, hey, we have an opportunity, so they went to get their friend who was lame. Remember that one? It's a brilliant story, isn't it? And they grab him and they take him to the house where he is and he couldn't get in because of the crowd. So what did they do? They come through the roof. Or blind Bartimaeus. He's on, sat at the side of the road outside Jericho. And it says, and Jesus was walking by. Suddenly, here's a blind man. And 
and hears at Jesus' knee. And an opportunity, a window, a possibility is opening up. And he starts to shout out, have mercy upon me, son of David. Have mercy upon me. And here the crowd says, be quiet. Listen, I'm beginning to realize in most of these stories, there's always a crowd. And the crowd is nearly always in the way. The crowd always has an opinion. And somehow, somewhere, I tell you, this is where we start to see faith. You've got to push through the crowd. The boys went over the crowd and went through the roof. But blind Bartimaeus shouted above the crowd and got Jesus' attention. Even when the crowd said, shh, he doesn't really, you know, he's not interested in you. Mercy, Jesus. And he's brought to Jesus. Here's the crowd and what her desperation, her passion, her, 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 her. You know, in the crowd, there's the sense of embarrassment and shame. What did she do? Her hunger to meet, to touch, pushes through all of that. Hey, listen, most of us in this room have stuff we're embarrassed about. Most of us in this room have some stuff that we're shame. we feel shame about. This woman had been living in isolation because of her condition. Going out into the crowd was an issue for her. And yet she, Jesus is in the crowd. And so we have this beautiful moment where she's pushing her way through the crowd. And isn't it beautiful? Look at, uh, where is it? And here's verse 28. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes. You know, we want to think, does this woman have faith? Oh my word, she has faith. If I just touch his clothes, he will. You know haven't we heard this so much this year? If I, he will. Haven't we? And here's a beautiful moment. And I don't understand the, all of this. I love it, but I don't understand what is fully going on here. But there is that moment, isn't there? If I, he will. And so she gets to that point and she touches his clothing, and immediately, it says there, immediately, something happens. Jesus knows something's happened. The woman knows something's happened. And his immediate reaction is, who's touching me? Who's touching me? The disciples are hilarious. If we were in the crowd, we would be operating exactly like the disciples. Lord, look at this, loads of people around jostling and pushing, you know. We're all here. We're not. Somebody's touched. There could be a lot of people in the crowd, but only one person touched. And in the mystery of this moment, her desperation, her faith, her longing... Her pushing through, I believe, touches the heart of the Father. You know, often we say Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. Yeah. I believe in this moment, the Father saw what she was doing, and it unlocked the power of God, and it flowed out of Jesus. This woman, this woman drew the power of God out of Jesus. And that power flowed into her body, into her crisis, into her suffering. And she was well.
we cannot ignore that in these stories, how these characters approach Jesus did have some bearing on the outcome. At the same time, I want to say this, and I say this pastorally, it's never, or I don't believe it's always about what we bring to the table. It's not always about how much faith and desperation we have, because Jesus too many times initiates stuff in the Gospels and comes to people who have no faith or very, very little. And we could rattle off a bunch of them. The man with the shriveled hand I talked about, he didn't have any faith. He didn't really have a clue what was going on. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. All he did was like, okay, Rabbi, boom, and his hand was healed. Jesus looked at the crowd in Matthew's Gospel, I think it's chapter 14, and said he had compassion on them. He didn't say anything about, did they have faith to believe? And he said, and he healed on them. And there's quite a few. And even into the book of Acts, when Jesus has died and risen and ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes upon those disciples, it says that John and Peter are walking to, up to the temple, and they get to the gate beautiful, and there's a man there who's been lame most of his life, and he's asking for money, he's asking for arms, and guess what? He gets legs. <laughs> oh, man. Come on, guys. <laughs> He's, you know, does he show faith? No. So we need to be careful. We need to balance it. But the reality is Mark is making a point in these two stories. Faith does move Jesus. Faith moves him. Desperation does move him. And so she comes with that mantra. If I can only, you know, you hear it in the voice, can't you? I'm a nobody, I'm a mess. If only I touch, just touch his clothes. There's a humility, isn't there? There's a, there's a, there's a similarity between Jairus falling on his face, pub, on his face publicly, and in his, you know, in this woman's heart, and how she's declaring faith. So, if only I can just touch. There's something going on here. There's a synergy. There's a similarity. It's about the heart. We know that God sees the heart. And he's moved. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. He knows your situation. He knows. Very recently, I just want to throw this out. Very recently, I was talking to one of our pastors in town. There's been a lady at St. Matthew side who's been suffering with Emily for 20 years. Three weeks ago, she was completely healed. This woman has been poorly for 12 years. Today is the moment that Jesus prays. We're starting to register now. We've got a spreadsheet of healing uh, across all of our sites. Because we believe, we want to see more. And we need to push you. I need to. Listen, I am preaching to me today because the crowd is in the way. I know God has spoken to me to push through to push through my own disappointments, my own fears, my own lack of faith at times. I need to push through because it can only just touch his garment when it starts to shake. So we're with him. We offer a journey with this. I'm both challenged, encouraged, frustrated, all of the above. And 
and I know that some of you are. But we've got to do that. We've got to persevere. Okay, really quickly, I want to land in a second. <clears throat> Who touched me? A desperate lady who was desperately needy. So, let's read on. This story then continues, doesn't it? Because, you know, imagine if you were Jairus, or imagine you were in the crowd, and suddenly this woman who's been ill for many years is now suddenly stood there in front of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is this. I just want to say this. Jesus doesn't embarrass her. He doesn't call her out to embarrass her. He calls her out to proclaim her wholeness in front of the community so that she can be fully restored to the community. And so in that moment, he says, your faith has made you well. That's what he says. Now we all acknowledge it's the power of God that makes people well, but her faith seems to have unlocked and drawn his power into her situation. Now, can you imagine being Jairus? Now, he's the one who's gone to Jesus to get Jesus to come to his house because he's got a crisis. And suddenly, en route, and now there's two things going on here. I think he's either, wow, this is great. This, this, he's done something here. He'll do it over here as well. Or he's be like, come on, Jesus. Time, we're on the clock. You know, my girl is really poor. You need to step on it. Now, what do you think? I think it's both. I'm like, wow, God, Jesus, you've done it. Come on, you need to come. And he literally turns around. His friends come in. And so suddenly his story is potentially slipping away. Let's read on real quick. And while Jesus was speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue, the daughter is dead. Oh my gosh. Wait a minute. I've just seen a woman healed. And now you're seeing that my... My crisis, my girl is there. Why bother the teacher anymore? Oh, don't you love it? Jesus never misses stuff. Overhearing, thank goodness Jesus overhears our stuff. He overhears what they said. Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly. You see, that's professional wailers. The professional people that come to help and grieve. That's what they did. He went in and said to them, Why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. She's not dead. She's asleep. After he put them all out. <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? Great you lot. All this negativity, it's time to leave. It's not over yet. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. Just a little band, a little private moment now, guys. And they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kuna, which means little girl, Say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk her. She's 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished and he gave strict order not to tell anyone about this. And he told them to give them something to eat. So we love these stories, don't we? But they do give us an issue. They do. Jesus simply says to Jairus, don't be afraid. 
believe. You know, in this moment, Jesus resuscitated a life, a hope, a dream that is in its power. This stuff is in the gospel because it like I said earlier, I know there are situations where we need Jesus to come home. We need Jesus to come home and do something. A couple of questions I want to land with. We've been asking the question, who is Jesus? He's dealing with all of this stuff. And I think for some of us, this little girl, we know we have situations like that. And we desperately need Jesus to come do something. This story seems to be when we act like Jairus, it does mean Jesus. When we jettison pride and we become a parent in that moment and cry out to him, it does mean him. I wonder if God is speaking to us both as individuals and as a church that we need to be encouraged to be a Jairus people. This whole story took on a whole new um, layer for me. But 12, nearly 12 years ago, and it's really odd, I think we showed it to 2006, I was in Sri Lanka, 2007, I was in Sri Lanka. And we ended up in a tiny little village, and in the most bizarre, awkward, and funny moment, where Leslie Matthews, my friend out there, says to me, listen, we've been invited to an event, I want you to come, and I want to speak at this little event. It's very important for the community. And as we rounded the corner, there was this little hut, and over it, it said, a coming of age ceremony. I thought, what? What on earth? So we all went in, me and the team, and there was about 40 or 50 people from the village gathered, and there was a 12-year-old girl who was coming of age. A bit like a bar mitzvah for guys. And I had the opportunity just to sh share a few words about, you know, of just, you know, I can't even remember what I said, and we got the opportunity to pray for her. I left that place and suddenly remembered this story. Because in that moment, a 12-year-old girl is no longer a girl, but she's to be a bride. And in the context where I was speaking in, it suddenly said to the family of the community, this girl is no longer a girl, this girl now is a bride-to-be. And suddenly this whole story brings, has, has changed uh, the way I read the story now. For me, this is a prophetic statement. Sometimes God speaks. You see, I think when for us, and here in Scotland, the girl is the church. You see, the world is saying, you've had your day. Your breath is coming in fits and starts, and actually you're on your way out. And when Jesus comes along and he says, she's not dead, she's asleep, the world laughs. The world mocks. But Jesus says, no, it's not over. It's not over. And so he comes in, in the intimacy of that little room. And he reaches out and he takes a hold of her. And he says, get up, little girl. But actually, for me, he's grabbing a hold of the church and says, get up, bride to be. You've got a life to live. You've got a ministry to fulfill. You've got a nation to win. And you've got to be the bride. And, the, and I'm coming for the bride. Do you see that? Wow. You see, guys, 
I think God is saying to the church, awake, rise up, it's time. My power is coming, but it will come when you go looking for me, you will find me. When you push through your pride, your position, your religiosity, jettison it and throw yourself at my feet. Let me tell you, it will move me to come. Listen, last week I got frustrated standing here because we are conditioned like Jairus. We feel that we need to have robes and we need to walk right and speak right. Listen, Jairus didn't. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and said, I'm a dad and I need your power. If you know Jesus and if you're a leader in this church, wow. For me, this is something. I don't know what to do with this. I'm thinking, I'm a leader. And I need the power. And I'm not seeing the power. So maybe I need to be more desperate for the power to come. Because the world looks at the church and goes, really? Do you really make a difference? But I believe he can. And so on an individual situation, I know that here in the room, God needs, we need your power. But Lawrence Kirk means the power of God. Because you can't argue against a resurrection or a resuscitation. So the question is, is who is this girl? Just click on again. Who is this girl? Who are we? Well, I love the ending of the story. Jesus raises this girl and says, right now, give her something to eat. She needs feeding. And then, there is the irony of you. It's just hilarious. Oh, by the way, you need to keep this a secret. How on earth do you keep? How do you keep that a secret? Well, you can't. You see, I put Rapunzel up here from Tangled. Because you see, the church, with all of its beauty, with all of its power that God has placed in us, is never to be kept in a tower. We see that in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit comes upon the church and what? Let down your hair. Oh my goodness. The hair is let down. Isn't it? The church goes into the community. The miracle maker, you know, uh, is probably 20 years old now. There's a beautiful moment of this story. And this little girl who's now alive, do you know what she does? She dances out of the room. And she's like, oh, Jesus is amazing. And they're like, oh, you're alive. And she said, yes, it's Jesus. He's made me well. 